Hi, and welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast. We have some exciting news we want to share with you, and that's that Rob's newest book, The Jordan River Rules, is finally here. It's been 20 years since The Red Sea Rules was published, and since then, it's helped hundreds of thousands of people through all kinds of crises. People write letters all the time to us about what they've been through. Now, he's written this book, The Jordan River Rules, to talk about how the swollen waters of the Jordan River were held back. This time, not to help the Israelites escape the enemy, but to open the path to the promised land, a path to victory. So maybe in your life, you're shifting gears. Maybe you're accelerating or slowing down. You wonder what's next. Our lives tend to move forward in different stages. So maybe you're figuring out post-pandemic life, or perhaps you've just graduated or had a baby or a change in career, or even you've lost a loved one. The message of the Jordan River Rules is that everything in your life so far has been God's preparation for stronger days ahead. Now it's time to move onward toward all the promises he has in store for you. You can search on Amazon for the Jordan River Rules to find the book and its accompanying study guide, which is meant for individual or group study. Or you can visit robertjmorgan.com. Use the code JRRPODCAST to save 10% off the book, the study guide, or the online study videos. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are. Thank you for joining me for our Bible study today, which is designed to go along with the release of my new book, The Jordan River Rules. The Jordan River Rules is based upon the book of Joshua, chapters 1 through 6 in the Bible. And during this story, the Israelites were entering a new stage. They were going where they had never been before. They were claiming their inheritance, their promised land. And in the same way, we very often find ourselves at points in life when we have to go on to the next stage. We have to go where we've never been before. We may be relocating. We may be entering college. We may be enrolling in the military. We might be uh, facing uh, a difficult illness. We might be getting married. Uh, Maybe we're buying a house or starting a new job. But life is full of new stages. And we can learn from the Israelites and the story of the Jordan River and the wonderful crossing of the Israelites across the Jordan River, something about how we can handle these various stages in life. Well, as part of the study for the Jordan River Rules, I'm doing a series of podcasts here called Gaining Ground on Lessons from the Stories of Joshua. Who was this leader? of the Israelites, whose name is the title of the sixth book of the Bible, who was Joshua, and how did God prepare him to do what he did? He is a great character in the Bible, but how did he come to be a great character in the Bible, and what can we learn from his life? This is material that is not in the book, The Jordan River Rules, but I wanted to take this opportunity to share something about who Joshua was, because he is so pivotal in Scripture and his lessons are so great. Many years ago, Dr. R.A. Torrey wrote a little pamphlet on the subject, Why God Used D.L. Moody. You know, during the last half of the 1800s, Dwight Moody was the most famous evangelist in the world. 
and many thousands of people came to Christ under his ministry. It's amazing to read about. After he died, Tory pondered why God had so used this relatively plain-spoken and uneducated shoe salesman, and he wrote a little book suggesting seven reasons. This is the way that R.A. Tory began his book. It's such a great little book, I want to read the opening to you. He said, 86 years ago, there was born of poor parents in a humble farmland in Northfield, Massachusetts, a little baby who was to become the greatest man, as I believe, of his generation or of his century, Dwight L. Moody. After our great generals, great statesmen, great scientists, and great men of letters have passed away and been forgotten, and their work and its helpful influence has come to an end, the work of D.L. Moody will go on, and its saving influence continue and increase, bringing blessings not only to every state in the Union, but to every nation on earth. Yes, it will continue throughout the ages of eternity, he said. And then he wrote, my subject is why God used D.L. Moody, and I can think of no other subject upon which I would rather speak. For I shall not seek to glorify Mr. Moody, but the God who by his grace, his entirely unmerited favor, used him so mightily, and the Christ who saved him by his atoning death and resurrection life, and the Holy Spirit who lived in him and wrought through him, and who alone made him the mighty power that he was to the world." Furthermore, said Tory, I hope to make it clear that the God who used D.L. Moody in his day is just as ready to use you and me in this day if we on our part will do what D.L. Moody did, which was to make it possible for God to so abundantly use him. And then he continued, the whole secret of why D.L. Moody was such a mighty and mightily used man is found in Psalm 62, verse 11. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. Yes, and I'm glad it does, said Tory. I'm glad that power does not belong to D.L. Moody. I'm glad that it did not belong to Charles Finney. I'm glad that it did not belong to Martin Luther. I'm glad it did not belong to any other Christian man whom God has greatly used in this world's history. Power belongs to God. If D.L. Moody had any power, if he had great power, he got it from God. But, said Tory, God does not give his power arbitrarily. It is true that he gives it to whomsoever he will, but he gives it on certain conditions which are clearly revealed in his word. And D. L. Moody met those conditions, and God made him the most wonderful preacher of his generation. Yes, I think the most wonderful man of his generation. But how was it that D. L. Moody had that power of God so wonderfully manifested in his life? Pondering this question, it seemed to me that there were seven things in his life that accounted for God's using him so largely as he did. And then R.A. Torrey goes on, and he lists these seven qualities in D.L. Moody's life that made him so usable, such a powerful vessel in the hands of the Lord Jesus. Well, I'm tempted to read the whole booklet to you and to give you all seven reasons, but instead out that you will look up Tory's message. You can find it online and read it for free. It's a very powerful little booklet, and it may change your life. But I'm saying all of that to say this. My subject today is similar. 
Why did God use Joshua, the biblical hero Joshua? Why did God give power to Joshua? And why did Joshua become the most wonderful general, in fact, the most wonderful man, the most powerful man of his generation? Well, as I said, as part of the rollout of my new book, The Jordan River Rules, I want to provide some background about this man who led the Israelites across the Jordan River. General Joshua was one of the greatest heroes of the Old Testament and indeed of the entire Bible, a man who had a long military career, but who was also a dramatic spiritual leader for his people. So what was it about this man, born into slavery, that made him so perfectly fitted for the work of the kingdom? Why did God use him so greatly? He was the man who linked together the generations and who led the fledgling nation of Israel to possess the land God had promised to Abraham. Even to this day, Israel is still there in the same land that Joshua conquered. Now, Joshua was not a perfect man, and we can see two or three missteps or mistakes that he made along the way. But he was the best man of his generation and one of the most gifted leaders in the Bible. So if we could figure out why God used him so greatly, it might show us how we too can be greatly used by God. So as I said, the book of Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. It begins after the death of Moses, when Joshua suddenly became the leader of Israel. But this man, Joshua, didn't just show up out of nowhere. We have his history given to us in bits and pieces in the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He is mentioned several times in those books, and that allows us to follow his progress as he moves from a downtrodden slave, born to slaves, and morphs into a world-class leader. So in this podcast and the next one, I want to show you some of those passages in Exodus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, and try to make the connection or the application to you or me. I don't know about you, but nothing matters to me more than being used by the Lord to do whatever He has called me to do in this world. But how do we become usable, and how do we fulfill our purposes? We have about seven glimpses of Joshua in the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and by reading a little bit between the lines, we can find some real answers to those very good questions. First, I think we can learn this from Joshua. We must view everything that has happened to us thus far in our lives with humility, realizing that God has intended it for our schooling and for our preparation. In other words, everything in our lives has prepared us for God's service today and in the future. In last week's message, we looked at Exodus 17, when Joshua suddenly showed up out of nowhere, it seems, into the story of the Exodus. The Israelites were making their way from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, and along the way they were ambushed and attacked by the Amalekites. And Moses said to Joshua, here is where we meet him for the first time. It just says in Exodus 18, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men and go out to fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek. That is Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 and 9. So we have to make some assumptions. I believe that God caused a boy to be born into an Israelite family, who were enslaved in Egypt, and that this boy was athletic, 
and gifted with natural leadership abilities. The Egyptians evidently recruited him into their army and trained him to be a warrior. He learned to organize and to strategize, and he learned how to charge at the enemy. Now, I cannot imagine that any of us would want to be born into slavery and conscripted into the Egyptian army of long ago as a slave and go through their what must have been brutal training process. And yet in this way, God prepared Joshua for his role. It's only been in recent years that I've come to understand and to believe that every stage in our lives, including everything that God allows to happen to us, Everything in the life of the follower of Christ is to prepare us and to school us and to train us and to equip us for what God wants to do in the future. And if you get hold of this truth, it really changes the way we look at the past. So many people have been abused at some point in their lives. So many people have been enslaved by various forces. So many have suffered loss and trauma. Maybe you have loss and trauma in your life. Almost everybody does at some level. But somehow, God can use all of that, even the negative things that have happened to you and even the evil things that you have done. Once they're under the blood of Christ, the Lord can use that, sort of like manure that grows great crops. He can use all of that to enrich your life for what he has for you to do tomorrow. Just this week, I've read the book about a Navy SEAL named Mike Day, D-A-Y, who grew up in an abusive home. He left home as soon as he could. He entered the military, and he became an operator with the Navy SEALs. He became a SEAL. On April 6th, 2007, he was the lead man in a raid against an al-Qaeda cell that was attacking U.S. troops in Iraq. He went into this dangerous area about midnight with his team. He was the leader. He breached the door, and he was suddenly met with a hail of gunfire. He later wrote, quote, As I pivoted off my right foot to move down the left wall, I had the sensation that my body was being slammed with a dozen sledgehammers. My entire body was now in the room, and the men behind me were attempting to follow me in. The room, he said, was small, 12 feet by 12 feet. My night vision goggles illuminated the darkness, and I saw in clear view four of our targets aiming at me all of them armed with automatic weapons, and all of them firing at me. In this strange, slow-motion scene, I had a mental conversation with myself. Hey, I am actually getting shot right now. It occurred to me that those sledgehammers smashing all over my body were bullets hitting me one after another after another. Well, Mike Day was struck 27 times. Some of those rounds, a few of them hit his Kevlar vest, but others hit him directly. One of the enemy soldiers also tossed a grenade at him, which went off and sprayed him with shrapnel, knocking him unconscious. Well, I'm amazed to tell you that Mike Day survived the 27 gunshot wounds and the grenade and all of his other injuries. The medical authorities said that he was and here is the phrase that they used. He was perfectly wounded. 
This actually was the phrase that Day used in his story about all of this. His book is entitled Perfectly Wounded. In other words, to be perfectly wounded mean that none of the bullets hit a vital organ or severed a major artery. It was just about miraculous. The doctors and nurses actually attribute it to a miracle. He was wounded, but in an almost miraculous way that allowed him to survive and eventually to thrive. His story and his continued work with the men and women and special forces have made him a modern-day hero, and his book has inspired thousands of people, including me. When Admiral William McRaven visited him in the hospital, McRaven said, Michael, are you lying down on the job again? And the Navy SEAL answered, no, sir. I'm just getting ready for the next fight. Well, none of us wants to get shot, but every one of us is wounded in some way in life. None of us gets very far in life without attacks from the enemy, and his attacks can be brutal, but this is what I truly believe. The Lord may allow us to be wounded, but he will see to it that we are perfectly wounded. That is, that whatever happens to us will be recoverable and will be used by him to prepare us for our next stage of service. Our recovery will simply be God's way of getting us ready for the next fight. Now, I know that I'm reading a lot between the lines of Scripture when it comes to Joshua, but I think that it's not only plausible, it seems to me almost certain this was the story with him. We know that he was born into brutal slavery, and it would appear that somehow he gained military training and the only possible way could be by those who were enslaving him. And we know that God liberated him and that he instantly became a military leader of Israel and the right hand um, at the side of Moses. So all we can say is that everything that happened to Joshua in his past life, which isn't fully given to us in the Bible, was God's way of equipping him to help Moses and to eventually to succeed him. So here's the first way of being usable in God's work. It's realizing that whatever we've gone through, both good and bad, in our past is God's way of equipping us for the next fight as soldiers in the Lord's army. So there's no need to look back with regrets or shame or guilt at things that are now covered by the blood of Christ. There is no need to look back with frustration over the bad things that have happened to us. We put them all under the sovereign grace of Jesus, and we know that somehow God will bring all of this together for our good and use it all for our glory, and somehow the Lord uses everything in your life to train and to prepare you and me for the next step. Now, the second reason God used Moses is, uh, or God used Joshua, rather, is because Joshua learned on his very first outing that victory comes from above. Victory belongs to God. It is God alone who gives us victory. So going back to Exodus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. But when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands grew heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Verse 14, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly block out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will wage war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, I dealt with this fascinating passage last week in the podcast The only point that I want to make now is that as Joshua was down in the valley fighting with the Amalekites, it was the power of God radiating from that rod and from that mountain that gave him the victory. Left to himself, Joshua and his men would have been slaughtered, but he was partnering with God, and that made the difference. Now, just imagine, no matter what Joshua's mili- uh, what his military background, he had never before experienced a battle like this one. Something was at play in this battle, that he was fighting with the Amalekites, a dynamic that he had never been taught in the Egyptian military and had never seen before. He was fighting with all of his heart, but the victory was coming from somewhere else. The victory was coming from above. It belonged to the Lord. And in the same way, I believe that you and I would simply be slaughtered in this satanic and fallen world. Our lives and our families and our futures would be devastated by the evil culture we're in and the diabolical foe that we face and the difficulties we go through and the opposition we have from the world and the flesh and the devil and the inevitability of death, all of these things would just annihilate us except for one thing. In Christ is our victory. We can keep on fighting with confidence because we know we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God, says the Bible. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So it's not a matter of us using ourselves for God. It's a matter of his doing his work through us, achieving victories through us. And he does that more than we realize. This is why, as we go about the Lord's work, we should never be discouraged. Our strength is small, but the victory is his. I recently read about a missionary team that went into a very remote corner of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. They flew into a landing strip and then hiked into the interior and then took dugout canoes through a very dense jungle. They were trying to determine the spiritual condition of the villages in that area. And to their amazement, they found a healthy Christian community, a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Every village had a church, and every church had a choir. And in one particular village, they found a stone building that could seat as many as a thousand people. None of these churches had a Bible in their own language. They used a French Bible, and some of the leaders knew French. And so they interpreted the scriptures into the tribal languages. But the missionary team wondered how in the world these remote villages came to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, some of these older indigenous believers explained that over a hundred years ago, a man had shown up. They only knew that he was a Baptist, 
and that he had served in a city in Congo during certain years, and that he would occasionally come into their leopard-infested area and try to teach the children and preach the gospel. But he was rejected and asked not to come back. Well, the team did further research, and they came to know this man, or at least they found out who he was. His name was William Leslie. In 1912, he went to live in the Democratic Republic of Congo, but after 17 years, he returned home thinking he was a failure, and nine years, he died. Nine years afterward, he died. Well, that man had power and influence, enough power to change the lives of people in a hidden and remote village for over 100 years. But he didn't realize it, at least not until he got to heaven. The power was not in him. It was in his message and his Christ and in his cross. So last week I said that just as Moses stood on the mountain above the battle, lifting high the staff, so the Lord Jesus Christ stands above our battles, lifting high the cross. And we must always remember that our victory comes from above. We have victory. Faith is the victory. We are more than conquerors. Every day is a day for encouragement. There is never a time when we should be discouraged, no matter how intense the battle, because the Lord Jesus and his mighty cross are giving us the victory. So God can use us more than we realize, and everything that happens in our lives has prepared us for our present and future service. Our victory and success comes only from the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message for today. The Lord wants to use you, and the first step is recognizing that He's been preparing you all of your life to use you for service now, and secondly, that he can use you victoriously and give you success because the power doesn't come from you. It comes from him. Well, we'll continue looking at the life of Joshua next time. If you have a chance, check out my newest book, The Jordan River Rules. Share this podcast with other people and check out my uh, social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and my website at robertjmorgan.com. This podcast was produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. Music by Elijah Rowe. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and may the Lord bless you until we meet again.